It is Friday the 13th of October. It is the Feast of Our Lady of Fatima. Let's begin together with a Fatima prayer to the Trinity in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Most Holy Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, I adore you profoundly, and I offer you the most precious body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ, present in all the tabernacles of the world, in reparation for the outrages, sacrileges, and indifference with which he himself is offended. And through the infinite merits of his most sacred heart and the immaculate heart of Mary, I beg you the conversion of poor sinners. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. Our Lady of Fatima, pray for us. It is the Sunrise Morning Show. Thank you for being along here on a Friday morning. It's Friday the 13th, but that doesn't really matter all that much to us, at least not around here. We're more focused on the Marian Feast Day. Up this hour, Mike Aquilina is going to be along from fathersofthechurch.com to talk about more cities of God. Today, he'll talk about Rome and its prominence as a major city in the history of Christianity. Dr. Jeffrey Morrow has been with us uh, for the past several weeks looking uh, at various books in the Old Testament. He helped put together a Catholic guide to the Old Testament. We've been going book by book with him, and uh, today we get to look at the book of Ezra. King Craycraft will look at issue one in Ohio and unpack some of the language that is in the specific issue. Uh, It's, of course, has major ramifications for the question of abortion in the state of Ohio. And then Father Hezekiah Carnazzo will preview the Sunday Mass readings, so please do stay with us if you can. Right now it is two minutes past the hour. Here's Anna Mitchell with news. Good morning. Steve Scalise is withdrawing from the race to become the next Speaker of the House. He announced at a conference meeting last night He would be pulling out of the race following a day full of meetings with fellow Republicans. It appeared unlikely that he would be getting 217 members of his own party to vote for him on the floor, as a small number of conservatives appeared to be blocking his path. The House Republicans will huddle again this morning. Israel is warning the United Nations to evacuate more than a million people in Gaza. Mark Mayfield reports. On Thursday, U.N. officials said the Israeli Ministry of Defense told them to notify Palestinians living in the northern areas of Gaza to evacuate to the southern part of the Strip in the next 24 hours. The U.N. says it's physically impossible to evacuate that many people without devastating humanitarian consequences. The news comes as officials expect the Israeli military to launch a ground assault against Hamas forces. The Israel Defense Forces say they have mobilized around 300,000 reservists near the Gaza border and are continuing large-scale strikes on Hamas targets. I'm Mark Mayfield. The Biden administration is arranging charter flights to help Americans leave Israel as the country is at war with Hamas. National Security Council spokesman John Kirby told reporters the administration is working to provide flights from Israel to sites in Europe for U.S. citizens and their immediate family members. The administration is also looking at helping Americans exit by land and sea. This comes 
amid a shortage of commercial flights as this conflict ensues. Meanwhile, delegates at the Senate on Synodality have been praying for peace as they continue to meet and deliberate in Rome. From Vatican Radio, Deborah Castellano-Lubov reports. Today's opening prayer was introduced by Iraqi Cardinal Luis Rafael Sacco. I would like to invite you this morning to pray for peace in the world, especially in the Holy Land, but also in Ukraine. The violence in Iraq, Iran, and Lebanon, Cardinal Sacco said. The people are waiting with much hope, he continued, to live in dignity and in fraternity and not always in fear and concern. As he called for prayer, fraternity, and solidarity with the suffering, the Assembly cited several prayers, including Psalm 129's, Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. During the morning prayer, Cardinal Sacco also prayed, O God, let the whole of humanity who have one origin from you form one family without violence, living united in peace for our Lord Jesus. Also during the morning prayer, the president of the Focolare movement, Margaret Karam, a Palestinian Catholic, prayed for peace. She prayed to the Lord for the Holy Land, for the people of Israel and Palestine who are under under the grip of unprecedented violence, as well as for the victims, especially the children, for the wounded, for those held hostage, for the missing, and their families. In these hours of anguish and suspense, she said, we join our voices to that of the Pope and to the choral prayer of those around the world who implore peace. Ms. Karam also recalled all of the other countries of the Middle East and all the countries at war. Help us, Lord, to commit ourselves to building a fraternal world so that these people and those in the same conditions of conflict and instability and violence may find the path of respect for human rights. In these days and in the past, the Holy Father has made countless prayers for peace in nations suffering from war. The Holy Father had personally made a visit to Iraq in March of 2021, marking the first visit to a pope to the Middle Eastern nation. I'm Deborah Castellano-Lubov. Ford Motor Company is telling the United Auto Workers that its 23% pay raise offer is the most they can afford to do. The UAW is striking the big three automakers as they seek a 40% pay raise. Ford Blue President Kumar Galhotra says the offer made to the union puts employees in the top 25% of all hourly and salaried jobs in the U.S., and it calls it a, quote, incredibly positive offer. He added any further wage hikes would risk their ability to invest in the business and grow profits. People receiving Social Security benefits will see a smaller cost of living increase than the past two years. Yesterday, the Social Security Administration announced the annual cost of living adjustment for the next year will be 3.2%. The adjustment means the average monthly payment for retirees will be a little more than $1,900 come January. Benefits saw the biggest boost since the 1980s, the previous two years, because of inflation. Last year, recipients received an increase of 5.9%, while this year saw an increase of 8.7%. And the Phillies beat the team considered the best in baseball this year to secure a spot in the National League Championship Series, Philadelphia edged the Braves 3-1 to to win the best-of-five National League Division Series. Nick Castellanos strug- slugged a solar home Oh, my gosh. I'm going to get this right. It's not a solar home run. A it would be a moonshot. A solo home run to tie the game at one game apiece in the fourth inning. He launched another home run in the sixth inning, while Trey Turner also went yard 
Atlanta bounced out of the playoffs despite being the number one overall seed after finishing the regular season with a 104-58 and record. It's the second straight postseason that the Braves have been eliminated by the Phillies. Philly squares off against the Arizona Diamondbacks in Philadelphia for game one of the NLCS on Monday. All right. Nick Castellanos, former Red. Yeah. Known for drives into deep left field. So I uh, guess congratulations to the Phillies, those listening on Holy Spirit Radio. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it's, and despite uh, it's having up. a former Red, you still can't root for them? I, I mean... Listen, Paul's I like was, Paul's in the background. He's like, no, I can't. He can't do it. My father-in-law grew up rooting for the Phillies. He was a bear mind. I rooted for the Orioles. Kid. They're gone. Then I switched my allegiance to the Twins, and now they're gone. The Philly fans don't want me rooting for them. Gary Zimak, we're looking at you, man. Bill Donahue, we're looking at you, man. Looking at you. We actually got lots of Philly connections through Holy Spirit Radio and beyond. Trying to trying to to not, you know, be an albatross on your franchise. <laughs> it's nine minutes past the hour. From FathersOfTheChurch.com, we're joined now by Mike Aquilina to look at more cities of God, cities that were a specific import in the early church. And one of these days, we knew we were going to get to Rome. Mike, good morning. Morning, Matt. Yeah, I don't even know how we have a series like this and don't focus on Rome. But how did Rome, first of all, become uh, the center of the West uh, before it became a Christian center? Boy, uh, you know that's just a, a that's a, that's a great question, and it's a it's a it's a huge question. How do some nations become powerful while others do not? And uh, and and sometimes it's a, it's a combination of of certain skills that 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 are there, certain opportunities, um, certain challenges, and. Rome was gr- growing more and more powerful in the Italian peninsula. And then when, when Carthage decided to make a play for Sicily, you know, to go in there and, and take land in Sicily, you know, Rome didn't like that because suddenly North Africa was pressing in on, uh, you know, pr- pretty close to its territory. So, so Rome, Rome decided to go in and, and throw the North Africans out and succeeded. And, uh, and the historians say that's when Rome got its first taste of empire and it liked that taste so uh, so rome just gradually became more powerful in terms of military in terms of uh you know economic power uh and uh and gradually spread through the mediterranean uh and and it became the dominant empire on earth it beca- it became the thing that uh that men think about every day apparently apparently <laughs> so today when that question came out you know do men really think about the Roman Empire all the time? I thought, well, I kind of do almost every day, but for, for professional reasons. Uh, so, <laughs> uh, but when it comes to this this setup that you know where Rome was at the time of Christ, how was it sort of like this uniquely uh, beneficial sort of delivery mechanism for Christianity? The fact that Rome had kind of existed and and you know built up in certain ways. Well, it created some some conditions that were just optimal for spreading the gospel. One is that uh, effectively there was one 
unified world at peace. This is the great accomplishment of Caesar Augustus, that he suppressed piracy on the high seas. He, uh, he kept his enemies at bay. They did not bother going after him because they knew about Rome's power. And, uh, and, and everything was fairly peaceful. Uh, Caesar Augustus also established a system of roads. It was not long since uh, one, one of the great mariners discovered the trade winds on the seas. And so, so for the first time in history, uh, ships could travel on the open sea rather than hugging the shoreline. You could get to your destination a lot faster. So that meant that goods could move easily from one end of the world to the other. That meant that soldiers could move easily from one end of the earth to the other. And the, the, the gospel really traveled all of these roads and sea routes with the mariners, with the soldiers, with people who were going from one place to another. We see that in the Acts of the Apostles, but we see it in history as well, that, 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 that Christianity, the gospel, spread by means of people going from one place to another, just doing their ordinary business, doing the things that they do. And it really took the empire so quickly. Uh, Rome made that possible by building these roads, by establishing these trade routes, by suppressing piracy. Uh, they didn't do it for the sake of Christianity, but God knew what was happening. This is all in God's providence. Well, you think about some of the ways that trade had developed and the, the you know trade and travel and, and all these things, and you think, how is it possible that an apostle could get from Jerusalem to India? Well... <laughs> I mean, it is possible if you've got these conditions in effect, these trades in effect, this uh, you know progression in sea travel technology has taken effect, right? That that these things are coming from all over the place, in and out. Uh, you can see how all an apostle really has to do is hitchhike, and they're a missionary in a seriously far flung land. That's right. The, the the Romans, for example, were addicted to pepper, to pepper that they bought from India, and so. There were constantly ships coming into Rome and bringing pepper for the Roman people. You know, that's uh, that's something that was happening all the time. They had to go through Alexandria to 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 get to Rome and uh, and, and and those ships were constantly moving. Uh, and um, and there were many opportunities to, to get to the places you wanted to go. So 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 uh, that's that's what that's what Rome brought about. Of course, there is also the city itself, which kind of warrants its own conversation that I wish we had a lot more time for. You know, I don't refer to myself as a Roman Catholic in very many conversations, but a lot of my non-Catholic friends refer to me as a Roman Catholic, right? Because they think right. of Rome as the headquarters and uh, everything that goes along with that. But you've been there a number of times. If we wanted to just, like, get a list of a few of the names of the people who— were martyred in the city, right, or whose relics are in the city. Like, what would be some names that would come to the top of that list? Well, you have to start with Peter and Paul, because they were the Romulus and Remus of Christianity. They were the great founders of this new city. Uh, if you if you read the Acts of the Apostles, there's a Romeward trajectory. Uh, you know, everything is moving toward Rome in in uh, in Paul's apostolate, and uh, and we know that the same thing happened with Peter that he began in Antioch. Uh, really began in Jerusalem, moved to Antioch, and then to Rome. So this is where the two apostles ended up. This is where they consecrated the city itself with their blood. And and they really are the great founders of Christian Rome. They consecrated the ground with their blood. Uh, they're the two great basilicas that were that were raised in the um, 
in the fourth century in their honor but under those basilicas there's evidence that 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 site was honored since the first century so they're at the top of any list but there are also the others <laughs> there there's their immediate disciple clement of rome and then you can go on in an unbroken line and and uh and look at the names of the other popes if you go to uh, saint paul outside the walls you can see the images of those popes in succession all those popes you know in in those those uh, same sized images along the walls of the basilica so so there's clement of rome there's ignatius of antioch whose relics reside at um at the basilica of san clemente uh, of saint clement clement in rome uh, and 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 on from there saint hippolytus saint lawrence <laughs> we could we could spend the entire morning just listing off the martyrs who died for the faith in rome and really became such an important part of our story as a family, as a Christian church. Rome is, in a sense, our ancestral home, our family home. It's the place where uh, the fathers looked for authority, looked for decisions, looked for moral support and guidance. That's the place where, where they looked. There was no other place like it on earth. Well, thanks so much, Mike Aquilina from fathersofthechurch.com. He's linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. We're back after this. It's 17 past. Central Fabricators is proud to support the Sunrise Morning Show, where you'll get news from the Catholic perspective, while keeping you up to date on what's happening in the Vatican as well. It's also a great way to keep in touch with the Catholic faith throughout the week. Central Fabricators, based in Cincinnati, Ohio, is a family-owned business for over 75 years, manufacturing and repairing corrosion-resistant storage tanks, reactors, and pressure vessels. On the web at centralfabricators.com. That's centralfabricators.com. For more than 150 years, the Comboni missionaries have traveled to nearly every corner of the world. Founded by St. Daniel Comboni, we are an international Catholic organization dedicated to ministering the world's poorest and most abandoned people. Your donations make a huge impact, and 95% are used to fund our many projects. Find out more at ComboniMissionaries.org. That is ComboniMissionaries.org. Mystic Monk Coffee has brought back their pumpkin spice blend, and unlike the competition, buying their coffee has the added bonus of supporting the Carmelite Monks of Wyoming and the Sunrise Morning Show. Go to sunrisemorningshow.com and click the Mystic Monk link to get that or any of their other coffee blends or teas. When you check out, we earn a commission. And there's no better vessel for your Mystic Monk pumpkin spice latte than a Sunrise Morning Show mug or travel mug. Find those in our online store. Do pumpkin spice the Catholic way. Just head on over to sonrisemorningshow.com. He is honored by the church as a saint with the title Second Apostle of Germany. Matthew Bunsen and the Doctors of the Church. The Dutch-born Jesuit, St. Peter Canisius, was one of the key figures in restoring the Catholic faith in Germany during the Protestant Reformation. He is renowned for his catechism and also for his founding more than 40 universities that proved bastions of Catholicism across Central Europe. He died in 1597 and was named a doctor in 1925. To find out more, visit EWTN.com and click on Catholicism. 19 past, here's Anna with headlines. Steve Scalise has announced he is withdrawing from the race to become the next Speaker of the House. Israel is warning the United Nations to evacuate more than a million people in Gaza. And meanwhile, the Patriarch of Jerusalem has asked the faithful to fast and pray for peace in the Holy Land. 
news at the top and bottom of each hour every weekday morning here on the Sunrise Morning Show. And Anna, I just got word from Travis that the video feed's now up on our Facebook page. Yes. Facebook Live. And I'm noticing uh, that we've got subtitles on the the Facebook Live. Captions. Captions, which uh, are, I would say, about 85% accurate. 85%. So, It'll uh, get given every the subject matter uh, we cover, and, um, it can be hard to transcribe it all. Oh my gosh, that's so, so true. You wonder, but, okay, are you watching it right now? I am watching it right Does now. Does it know how to spell synodality? Uh, we'll find out in a minute because this is on a short delay. Oh, okay. But you can go to uh, sunrisemorningshow.com, click on the Facebook page, and uh, you can just see it right there. It's right there at the top of the top of the feed. No, it does not know how to spell synodality. It spells it with a C. <laughs> As this in is going to be a fun, a fun. We fun should just say all experiment. the weirdly bizarre Catholic words that we can think of and see what it does. Concupiscence. Oh no, we said it at the same time. Go ahead. Concupiscence. I want to see what it does with concupiscence. Catechism. Now, catechism's like that's a. That's I don't a, know. You never know. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. No, it, it, it swung in a miss on concupiscence. It's 21 past. To the Sunrise Morning Show? Well, imagine promoting your business right here to other listeners of the Sunrise Morning Show. You'll reach like-minded folk across the nation on over 300 radio stations, each of those stations with thousands and thousands of listeners, not to mention all the people who listen on Sirius Satellite and our online app. Find out more about national underwriting of the Sunrise Morning Show by emailing me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. L-E-A-H at sacredheartradio.com. I'm Father Timothy Shear, and these are Biblical Impressions. The Pharisees appear quite frequently in the Gospels. Often they are challenged by the Lord for their attention to unimportant details. But there were Pharisees who were good and tried to become better. We know the name of one of them, Nicodemus. In the Jewish tradition, the Pharisees were challenged too. The Talmud, for example, a commentary on the Lord's Word, speaks of seven groups of Pharisees. The first of the seven groups of Pharisees are those who belong to what we might call the shoulder Pharisee. This one likes to make a display of piety. His whole motivation is on outward appearances. Then there's the wait-a-minute Pharisee, who values good deeds over people in need. There's the reckoning Pharisee, who balances one bad deed with one good deed. There's the neglectful Pharisee, who puts aside some good deeds to do his favorite good deeds. There's the show-me Pharisee, who will only admit failure when someone points out one of his faults. There's the fearful Pharisee of punishment from God. And last of all, and most dear to God, is the loving Pharisee. We should all strive to be the loving Pharisee. For Sacred Heart Radio, I'm Father Timothy Shear. Joining us now on the Sunrise Morning Show is Dr. Jeffrey Morrow. He is one of the contributors to A Catholic Guide to the Old Testament from Ascension Press. We're continuing our Old Testament Bible study this morning. Good morning, Dr. Morrow. Good morning. It's great to be here. It is great to have you. And today we're looking at the book of Ezra, another one of the historical books. But this is 
one of those spots, I think, where things might get a little bit confusing because the events of this book are happening after the time of many of the prophets, but the prophets are placed in the Bible after the book of Ezra. Can you kind of clear this up for us? Well, well, sure. So when we divide up the books the way the Christians divide them in the Old Testament, we're dividing them thematically. So the prophets are going to span a huge chunk of time. So we start with the Torah, the first five books, the Pentateuch, and then we move to the historical books, which walk through salvation history from the time of the Exodus all the way to the destruction of the Davidic kingdom, the Babylonian and Assyrian exiles, um, and the divided kingdom leading up to the time of Jesus. And so the prophets span that whole time period from before the Assyrian exile, before the Babylonian exile, and afterwards. So it's gonna, they're going to dovetail with many of the parts that we find throughout the historical books. They're not really written in chronological order. Which is why the Bible timeline and Great Adventure Bible series is so helpful in this regard to get a better idea of how all of this fits together. So who is Ezra? That's a great question. So Ezra is a priest and a scribe. Um, some readers might be bored by the genealogies, but actually the genealogy of Ezra is really important because it shows that he's not only a descendant of Levi, where all the Levites and the priests come from, but he's a descendant of Aaron, through whom the priests come from. But not just of Aaron, but his grandson Phineas, and then the, the descendant Zadok from the time of David. And that's important because the priesthood ends up narrowing as time goes by because of the infidelity of the people, but then the fidelity of key figures, particularly Aaron's grandson, Phineas, and then the descendant, Zadok. And so Ezra is a, is a legitimate priest from that line. Okay. Now, who are the other important figures as we read the book of Ezra? Well, there's a couple. The two biggest, I think, well, the three, the big figures are going to be the kings of Persia, right? So Cyrus is mentioned, Darius, Artaxerxes. Um, you'll hear about Nehemiah, uh, who we're going to talk about later. Um, and then also some of the prophets like Zechariah and Haggai, they will all come up. But Ezra takes center stage as the, the key scribe priest who's following God's will in rebuilding the temple. And this rebuilding of the temple, of course, one of the most significant, um, one of the most significant events that happens in the book of Ezra. I mean, I don't think we can underscore that enough. That's correct. Yeah, that's, that is the key event. Now, can yeah. you discuss this story a little bit more? What what sure. goes on with the rebuilding of the temple? Well, it starts and stops quite a bit. So this is a <laughs> this is a, one of those challenging things in that Cyrus has released Israel from bondage to Babylon when he's defeated the Babylonians and the Persians take over, and he, God puts it into his heart to allow the Jews to return to Israel. This is the first time they're called Jews as a people, the Jewish people from the tribe of Judah primarily. And he's allowed them to rebuild the temple, and Darius is going to second that. But then what happens is some, um, some of the northerners who are already there in the land, who have survived the Assyrian exile, start to stop this. And so Ezra has to continually petition the king to get this going again. So many years go by after they start the project, and they have to stop it before Artaxerxes allows them to start rebuilding it again. That's the basic drama of the text. Drama is uh, a good word for it. So what, I mean, what is the, the overall takeaway from that story, do you think, Dr. Morrow? Well, in, in my opinion, it has to do ultimately with the meeting place for God. So the whole world is seen initially in Genesis as this large temple where we are to meet God. 
And then the temple in Israel, in Jerusalem, becomes kind of a, a microcosm of the world, if you will. And so this becomes the place that faithful Israelites will have an encounter with God, and they will bring in the other nations. But ultimately, it points to the, the true new temple, the second temple, the th- sorry, you could say the third temple, mm-hmm. and that is in, the, in heaven. And we see that come down to earth in the form of Jesus, that when God comes among us as one of us, as Jesus, he is ultimately the new temple that the other temples were pointing forward to. Yeah, as he says in the Gospels. So uh, what are the other key themes that we need to keep in mind as we're reading the book of Ezra, Dr. Morrow? Well, I think fidelity to God is a big one, um, that Ezra doesn't take no for an answer. If God is telling him this has to happen, he will continue to petition the king. And there's, you know, there's going to be tumult. Uh, we, we encounter the Samaritans. So this is one of those issues where when we hear about the Samaritans, like the parable of the Good Samaritan in the Gospel of Luke, the rivalry between Samaritans and Jews is longstanding. And so despite the, the difficulties and the obstacles, they follow God and follow God's will. Well, we will pause it there for now. We'll look forward to next time when we continue the story in the book of Nehemiah. But in the meantime, encourage folks to go pick up a copy of A Catholic Guide to the Old Testament from Ascension Press. Ascensionpress.com slash Old Testament is where you can go and uh, get one for yourself so that you can study along with us in this Old Testament Bible study. We've been talking to Dr. Jeffrey Morrow. Doctor, thank you so much. Thank you. It was good to have you, and you can find all of our guests linked at sonrisemorningshow.com. Click on our show notes for the day, and you can see what they look like. Click on their picture, get their bio, their information, and all of the links that you need to uh, pick up a copy of whatever book or you know podcast or whatever that they might be promoting. That's also where you can find our podcast after the fact. And uh, once the show is over and we load the podcast up there, you can find them with markers. If you want somebody to learn more about Ezra, all you got to do is click on the one with Dr. Jeffrey Morrow and then click share. Click the little timestamp button and copy the link. Take you right there. Half past the hour now on the Sunrise Morning Show. It's time for news. Israel is telling the United Nations to evacuate more than a million people in northern Gaza over the next 24 hours. UN officials say the Israeli Ministry of Defense told them yesterday to notify Palestinians living in the northern areas of Gaza to evacuate to the southern part of the Gaza Strip. The move could mean that an Israeli ground assault against Hamas is imminent. Israel Defense Forces have reportedly mobilized about 300,000 reservists near the Gaza border. The Latin Patriarch of Jerusalem has asked the faithful to fast and pray for peace in the Holy Land as war rages between Israel and Hamas militants. In a statement, Patriarch Pierre Batista Pizzaballa said, quote, In this time of sorrow and dismay, we do not want to remain helpless. We cannot let death and its sting be the only word we hear, end quote. The Franciscans who care for the sacred sites in the Holy Land have kept them open so far. The Catholic News Agency reports that while much of Jerusalem is closed, the Franciscan sanctuaries remain open at the request of the Custos of the Holy Land to allow for pilgrims to have as normal an experience as possible. 
in Washington. Steve Scalise is withdrawing from the race to become the next Speaker of the House. Mark Mayfield has more. He announced at a conference meeting Thursday night he would be pulling out of the race following a day full of meetings with fellow Republicans. It appeared unlikely he would get the 217 members of his own party to vote for him on the floor, as a small number of conservatives appeared to block his path. The House Republicans will huddle again Friday morning. I'm Mark Mayfield. People receiving Social Security benefits will see smaller cost of living increase than the past two years. Yesterday, the Social Security Administration announced the annual cost of living adjustment for the next year will be 3.2 percent. The adjustment means the average monthly payment for retirees will be a little more than $1,900 come January. Benefits saw the biggest boost since the 1980s, the previous two years, because of inflation last year. Recipients received an increase of 5.9%. This past year saw an increase of 8.7%. Now, a little more than a week after the release of the Pope's apostolic exhortation, Laudate Deum, a group of Catholic agencies has joined a campaign for COP28 to ensure that a loss and damage fund effectively meets the needs of the poor. From Vatican Radio, Lisa Zingarini has the story. The statement is a joint effort of several Catholic agencies, including Caritas Internationalis, the Scottish Catholic International Fund, the International Cooperation for Development Solidarity and the Laudato Si movement, and is open to leaders of all faiths across the world who wish to show their support for action on loss and damage. The aim of the fund, which was the major achievement of the COP27 in Sharm el-Sheikh last year, is to provide financial assistance to poorer nations as they deal with the negative consequences that arise from the unavoidable risks of climate change, including rising sea levels, prolonged droughts and severe flooding, desertification, forest fires and crop failures. According to the faith leaders, the fund could correct the deep injustice at the heart of the current climate crisis, building peace, harmony and solidarity to respond to this challenge to our common home. The statement therefore calls on COP28 to agree to establish a fit-for-purpose loss and damage fund that gets money to the people who need it most, is adequately resourced based on the polluter pays principle, fully addresses non-economic losses and damages and corrects the injustice of poorer nations paying the price of other nations' actions. The fund, the religious leaders say, must be accessible, comprehensive, restorative and effective. At the same time, the statement reiterates that the new global fund must be accompanied by urgent action to reduce emissions as quickly as possible and to invest in essential adaptation efforts to prevent future harms. I am Lisa Zengarini. And the Philadelphia Phillies are heading to the National League Championship Series after beating the Atlanta Braves last night 3-1. The Phillies will be facing off against the Arizona Diamondbacks. That's the news. It's 35. You listen to the Sunrise Morning Show? Well, imagine promoting your business right here to other listeners of the Sunrise Morning Show. You'll reach like-minded folk across the nation on over 300 radio stations, each of those stations with thousands and thousands of listeners, not to mention all the people who listen on Sirius Satellite and our online app. 
Find out more about national underwriting of the Sunrise Morning Show by emailing me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. L-E-A-H at sacredheartradio.com. This past year has been a crazy roller coaster ride, but you have the power to get your business back on track by underwriting the Sunrise Morning Show. Weekday mornings, your message will reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners across the U.S. and around the globe who want to know more about and support Catholic businesses and organizations. To get national exposure for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on the Sunrise Morning Show, email me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah at sacredheartradio.com. To the most precious blood of Jesus Christ, Almighty and Eternal Father, The magnitude of your love for us is reflected fully in the gift of your only begotten Son to humanity. He is not only equal to you, but one with you. We are indebted to you, and it stares us in the face. Obviously, we cannot pay you commensurately. But we are asking for your grace while demonstrating our willingness to love you in this adoration. We appreciate your benevolence and solicit your continued loving kindness in helping us to put forth a more satisfying gesture of love and gratefulness through a change of our lives for the better. May the Holy Archangel Michael and your hosts of angels and saints join us and lead us closer to you through this adoration. We make this prayer through Christ our Lord. Amen. It's 37 minutes past the hour. You're listening to the Sunrise Morning Show on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. So happy to have you along with us on a Friday morning. Sunrise Morning Show legal and political analyst Ken Craycraft is back with us now. He's a professor at Mount St. Mary's Seminary. He writes for the Catholic Telegraph and our Sunday Visitor, among other publications. Good morning, Ken. Good morning, Annie. Nice to be with you again. It is nice to have you back. And we are going to be talking about issue one here in the state of Ohio. It's a proposed amendment to enshrine abortion in the Ohio Constitution. And the attorney general of Ohio, Dave Yost, put out a legal analysis of this proposed amendment recently, basically laying out how he sees it, how how current law would be changed if issue one were to pass, what stood out to you in his analysis, Ken? I think the most, the thing that stuck out the most for me in his analysis is something that, to be perfectly honest, I had not really thought about myself. Mm. And that is the effect that issue one will have on all sorts of existing laws. So not only, and I've written about how it will prevent the legislature from making certain laws. We already know that the heartbeat bill is on hold. But what uh, what the attorney general of Ohio does, and this is a, a good lesson for other states that are considering such things, is it has all kinds of implications for all kinds of other laws that are already in effect in Ohio, including about chemical abortions, about uh, parental consent, about waiting periods, um, and, and, and also regulations related to just health and safety and, for, and uh, in clinics, including abortion clinics. So the effect of non- directly uh, non-abortion laws in Ohio uh, is, is, c- could be profound or would be profound if this, um, if this Amendment 1 passes because it's going to cut the teeth out of a lot of laws 
that are that are on the books merely to to protect the safety of patients, not just in the abortion context, but in other contexts as well. So what struck me the most, and I think that he, the attorney general of Ohio did a wonderful job in laying this out, is the way that if uh, issue amendment, uh, if issue one were to pass, the way that it would affect a lot of other laws in Ohio uh, and and just throw um, I mean, you know, as an attorney, I mean, I won't be involved in any of this litigation, but uh, he's, uh, you know, the issue one is doing a, a great, uh, a great service to the attorneys because there's going to be a lot of litigation if it passes. Right. I mean, Ohio, assuming that issue one were to pass and um, we should note the bishops of Ohio have been incredibly outspoken in, um, in in urging voters to vote no on issue one in November. Um, but if it were to pass, I mean, this is not it's not like these laws would be automatically invalidated. No. This would basically embroil Ohio in all kinds of lawsuits for years to come. Is that right? That's exactly right. Oh, yeah. that's exactly right. Yeah. The law itself, the issue one itself, by its own terms, is self-executing. In other words, if it passes, it would go into effect that day, literally that mm-hmm. day. So to the first the first Tuesday after the uh, first Monday of uh, November. But all of these other laws that it affects will be subject to litigation because it doesn't wipe those laws off the book. It merely uh, throws into doubt how they would work. And so what you would have are pro-abortion groups, interest groups, the way that pro-abortion interest groups have come into Ohio uh, to put this issue on the ballot, would start litigating all of these other matters as well. And that's why I say, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a litigator's dream in one sense, because it's going to cause a great deal of, of litigation and many, many lawsuits related to these other things. And, and I think that what would happen here, and this is, this is a hypothetical that I hope never comes true, is if it were to pass, I think we would be, uh, many people in Ohio would find out very quickly that those of us who have been saying that this is an, a, an unbelievably extreme issue uh, on the ballot will we'll, we'll see that we were right, that, that it, the way that it uh, takes away the rights of parents uh, to counsel their children and to approve of, of medical procedures and, and the way that it opens the door for not and not just uh, medical uh, procedures related to abortion or contraception, any, but medical procedures related to so-called gender affirmation care or gender transition care. All of these things that we're saying right now, this issue will take away parents ability to to um, supervise their own children, their own minor children, as an example. And, and the litigation will start uh, as soon as it passes. And, and this will be one of the issues because of the language of the amendment. Can you talk more about that? Because I have been wondering this, Ken, from a personal standpoint, um, the the vagueness of the language of issue one and just how readily um, litigators, as you were saying, will take advantage of vague language to push these issues that, you know, if you if you listen to um, to the ads and mm-hmm. the people who our who are pushing issue one, for instance, and I've seen stories mm-hmm. on this saying this is not extreme. You know, these people, they're fear mongering and, and all of that. But is it realistic to believe that that uh, that a litigator is going to come at, like, say, I don't know, the ACLU or something is going to come after Ohio almost immediately on things like parental consent and, and the like? 
Uh, it's not just likely; it's certain because mm -hmm. what will happen? Because you have you have the what what you have here. And first of all, the extremists are on the other side. For example, just as a parenthetical, I heard a commercial the other day that said if issue one fails, that a woman in Ohio will not be able to get care for her miscarriage. It's a flat out outright lie, Annie. Mm -hmm. uh, and and of course, you know, it's 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 built on a uh, my my kids love the movie Elf. It's built on a throne of lies. Uh, the the issue. Uh, but but yes, it will. And the reason it will, Annie, is because of the vagueness of much of the of the language of the amendment. And again, that's on purpose. The the vagueness of the language is on purpose by the people who want this bill to pass or this issue to pass, precisely because it opens up the possibility of litigation and the possibility of gutting other Ohio laws. So, for example, it talks about pregnant individuals or any individual rather than uh, any individual majority or any adult or any any person over 18. Uh, it talks and, and it won't it doesn't even use the word woman and it uses the word individual, which opens the door for all kinds of um, uh, shenanigans about uh, uh, transgender issues and, and other things like that related to the kinds of surgeries that would typically be related to contraception, but which can easily lead to, by logic, uh, surgeries that have nothing to do with contraception and everything to do with so-called gender-affirming care, such as a hysterectomy on a minor. Mm. That, that could be comprehended by this, and the ACLU and other groups are going to come in and litigate and say that it does comprehend those things. So, yes, you're exactly right in the vagueness of, of the terms of the amendment are precisely, the purpose of the vagueness is precisely to allow those types of things. Now, I will say this, Annie, one of the, if it were to pass, God forbid, but if it were to pass, I think, I think that there's a very good possibility that its enforcement will immediately be stayed. And I can guarantee you that the motions are already ready to be filed with the Ohio Supreme Court, that there's a possibility that its enforcement could be stayed precisely on the issue that I'm identifying. And that is the vagueness of some of the terms and language. You know, one of the, one of the um, staples of good law is that the language is clear and so that you know what the law means. It's not. It's difficult to know what this law means, which is one of the reasons that that um, it's you know there's so much debate about it in the media and in the commercials and things like that. Uh, it's very difficult to know what some of these terms mean. So it's not it's not out of the question that even if it were to pass, the Ohio Supreme Court would stay it while it hears arguments about the vagueness vagueness of some of the terms. And of course, if it's vague then it cannot be then it cannot be enforced and we would be back at square one. I'm not optimistic about that. I'm not predicting that, but I'm saying that there's a good possibility that that would be the case. Let's hope that the issue fails in Ohio so that we don't have to worry about that. And, and by the way, Annie, it, it's incumbent upon us to, to say that this is not just an Ohio issue. The eyes of the other uh, traditionally pro-life states are on Ohio here because if this works and if issue one passes, the same groups that are pouring tens of millions of dollars into Ohio to pass this constitutional amendment are going to use the same tactics in other states that are traditionally pro-life, including states like North Carolina and South Carolina and Kentucky mm -hmm. and Indiana and, and other states. So it's not just an Ohio issue. It, it's, a, it's going to be a bellwether issue for other states. And it's a test run for pro-abortion groups to see whether they can pull this off here and then go ahead and pull it off in other states that have been traditionally pro-life. Well, as Ohio goes, so goes the nation is uh, what we often Probably. hear in in political circles. And so, yeah, this is an issue that our national audience needs to be paying attention to. And please pray 
for Ohio. We've been talking to Ken Craycraft. Ken, thank you so much. Thank you, Annie. It's been great to be with you. Likewise. All right. It's 13 till. Father Hezekiah Carnazzo joins us next. It's not over. Unplanned pregnancies still happen. I'm Marian Kuharski, Director of Pro-Life Across America. In my 30-plus years, I've never seen such a concerted attempt to silence our efforts and at a time when it's most needed. There's a powerful effort to prevent and block our pro-life messages. Our billboards, social media, and digital ads are all impacted. Our messages feature a hotline number connecting callers with more than 3,000 pregnancy support centers across America, offering alternatives to abortion, free ultrasound, and pregnancy assistance. Babies' lives are being saved. The need still exists. It really does. And Pro-Life Across America needs your help. Please find us at ProLifeAcrossAmerica.org. Did you know I could suck my thumb before I was born? Yep, we all started small. We know a lot of you love anything pumpkin-flavored, and others, well, not so much. But the Mystic Monks of Wyoming are taking care of both of you with their coffee. That's right. Their seasonal favorite pumpkin spice blend is available, along with other normal flavors. And when you purchase them after clicking the Mystic Monk link at sunrisemorningshow.com, you earn us a commission. While you're at our site, pick up a Sunrise Morning Show mug in our online store. Get a mug and link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sonrisemorningshow.com. The AWTN on-demand platform features 50 new podcasts every week, as well as an ever-expanding library of audio and video content. For Catholics who want to learn more about their faith, simply using their mobile device, computer, or TV. Your favorite EWTN programs are available 24-7. Visit EWTN.com and click On Demand. EWTN is the Global Catholic Network. With us now on the Sunrise Morning Show is Father Hezekiah Carnazzo from the Institute of Catholic Culture. Good morning, Father. Good morning, Annie. It's a blessing to be with you and your listeners today. It is a blessing to have you back. And we're looking at the readings for Mass this Sunday, the 28th Sunday in Ordinary Time. And the Gospel is taken from Matthew 22. Now bear with me here. Jesus is telling another parable about the kingdom of heaven and likening it to a wedding banquet. And the king invites these guests. They don't come, so the servants are instructed to invite anyone. Some ignore him. Others kill the servants. So then the king burns the city to the ground, and then the servants are told to gather all they can find to come to this banquet. And then at the banquet, the king finds a guy who's not dressed in wedding clothes, and so he gets kicked out where there is wailing and gnashing of teeth. Now, Father, this doesn't seem very fair. I mean, how was that guy supposed to know that he needed wedding clothes? I mean, isn't God supposed to be nice? Why would he care about that? That's right. So much for the peace-loving Jesus here. Okay, the king was enraged and sent his troops to destroy those murderers and burned their city. You know, sometimes I feel like, you know, we could use a little bit of divine justice about now. And, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, no, you know, there's two things going on, Annie. The fathers of the church tell us that, yes, this parable is about the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, which is the church. Most of us think of the church as somehow invented by Jesus or coming about at the time of Pentecost. This is not a patristic understanding of the Church. The Church is God's intention in the Garden of Eden, that we are made an assembly 
in the image and likeness of God who has lived a life of loving communion from all eternity. So the fathers of the church tell us the Trinity is the eternal church, this life of communion, of assembly, and we are called to live that. And so we can talk about the church of the Old Testament and the church of the New Testament. In the church of the Old Testament, Jesus here uh, makes a parable, which was very understandable because it was always understood from the first words of, of, of Genesis all the way through the Old Testament, that God's relationship with his people is that of a, of a groom and a bride. Huh? And the marriage banquet that Jesus speaks of was a, a, a symbol of this relationship between God and his people. And here, sadly, we learn about the Church of the Old Testament and those servants who were dispatched to call the guests mistreated and, and murdered over the prophets those who are called to warn the people. And Jesus is going to come now in Matthew chapter 22 here toward the end of the gospel to, to be the, the, the last and greatest prophet of all, to tell the truth about who God is, to reveal him to us. And what do they do? They murder him. And so uh, Jesus here prophesies that, 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 that what the Old Testament church was called to do, the New Testament church will do, and that is shine the light far beyond Israel, and call in the Gentiles to the kingdom, which brings about the second part of this, this gospel passage, when all these people do come in from all over, not just from the chosen people, which infuriated his listeners. Like, what do you mean you're going to call in the sinners, the tax collectors, the, you know, the prostitutes, but the, and, and God forbid the pagans, the Greeks? Never. Okay, but Jesus said, yes, it's exactly what's going to happen. Here this man comes without a, a garment, and your question is right. Well, the poor guy... He's sitting having coffee on the corner, and they go out and they say, hey, come on, there's nobody to come. You want to come to the party? And then he comes, and then he gets thrown out. It's not right. Well, you have to understand in the ancient world, for a wedding party, the one throwing the party would send the garments out so that the people could come properly attired to the feast. It wasn't up to them to choose what to wear. It was the one that invited that sent the clothing out. And here this guy... This guy did not prepare himself, even with the gifts that were given. The church fathers tell us the garment that this man wears is a symbol of his life, the virtuous life or the vicious life, a life uh, which is woven, given to us in baptism, but woven by us throughout our lives until that garment truly becomes our garment, a garment of virtue which shines. I have a beautiful insight, by the way, from an old priest I knew. He says, look at a wedding garment. He says, that's the virtuous life, woven beautifully together into one beautiful in which we present ourselves to the Lord at the end of time. He says, but the wedding garment also has jewels on it which shine, because our virtuous life is meant to be evangelical, to call others into a relationship with God who are attracted by what we have been clothed with, the grace of the All-Holy Spirit. Clothed with the cross as well. Well, yes, Annie, and it's only through the cross that we come to the life of God. You know, I'm glad you bring up the cross in this time, in this kind of post-feast of the cross time. The Old Testament reading comes to us from Isaiah 25, and your listeners can look this up. There's prophecy that on, on this mountain in Jerusalem, death will be destroyed, and the Lord will wipe away the tear from every face. The people at the time of Isaiah were living through a time in which they were under attack from the Assyrian and Babylonian empires, and things looked terrible, even within Jerusalem. There were pagan temples set up on the Mount of Olives, sacrificing babies to all. It was a horrible situation. But the Lord said, I will bring life regardless of your sins. And then we hear in the responsorial psalm that we know quite well, Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Remembering David, 
as he was a boy shepherding the sheep and the sun was setting. Even though I walk in the dark valley, I fear no evil. Imagine David the boy shepherding the sheep and the sun is setting and the animals are starting to stir. He's, a, he's fearful. And in the midst of all of this craziness, in the midst of Jesus going to the cross, in the midst of the Assyrians and Babylonians attacking Jerusalem, the Lord is there. He will guide us. The Lord is my shepherd, David said. Even though I walk in this dark place, I just a, a word of encouragement to our brothers and sisters that are listening to this program. We are living in a very dark time in our society and in our church. The Lord has not abandoned us. We've abandoned Him. He's always there, His guiding hand. He is our shepherd. If only we will turn to Him and be shepherded by Him to be able to come into His house again and to live with Him. And then every tear will be wiped away and death will be destroyed, but only with the Lord, not without Him. Well, you know, Father, I love that you told us about how the wedding garment would be supplied to the guests, because that brings a whole new meaning to the second reading as well from St. Paul to the Philippians uh, chapter four. He says, my God will fully supply whatever you need in accord with his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. You know, Annie, I didn't even see that till you just mentioned it. You're right. Isn't that the wisdom of the church, how she sets before us these beautiful readings? If only we have the eyes to see and prepare ourselves. And again, in Philippians, St. Paul says, regardless of what comes, whether it's good or bad, whether I'm hungry or, or I'm fed, it's the Lord who strengthens me. And we need to learn this through all of these challenges we face today. Rely upon the Lord and he will guide our life. He's always there for us to shepherd us. We've been talking to Father Hezekiah Carnazzo. And Father, if listeners want to check out the resources you've got available over at the Institute, where do they find them? Instituteofcatholicculture.org. And you can find instituteofcatholicculture.org linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. Thank you so much, Father Hezekiah. we got another hour of the Sunrise Morning Show coming up for most of our affiliates here on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. It is Friday, the 13th of October. Let's begin together in prayer on this Feast of Our Lady of Fatima in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Have mercy, God, in your kindness. When we are reluctant to own our sins as sins, have mercy on us. When we are afraid in our sinfulness to pray, have mercy on us. When we feel hopeless about the sinful patterns in which we are trapped, Lord, have mercy on us. When we refuse to forgive others because we cannot forgive ourselves, Lord, have mercy on us in your kindness. O God of forgiveness, you sent your only Son to live and die among us in order to set us free from the merciless snares of sin and death. Forgive us of our sins. Heal what we dare not face. Grant humility where we take refuge in false pride. Grant us singleness of heart and a steadfast spirit. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Our Lady of Fatima, pray for us. It is the Sunrise Morning Show. We are glad that you are with us here on a Friday morning. I'm Matt Swaim. Anna Mitchell has news. Paul Lockman at the controls. Travis is running video. And uh, as of this morning, you can catch us on YouTube, but you can also catch us on Facebook Live. So go to the Sunrise Morning Show Facebook page uh, and click on that Facebook thing, and you can watch the show live on Facebook if you like doing that sort of thing. 
But that's all available, those links, at sunrisemorningshow.com and in the show notes. Up this hour, Father Mike Schmitz is going to be with us to talk about what the Catechism says about the life of Beatitude. Janice Breedenbach is going to be along from the Pursuit of Wisdom program at Ave Maria University. Uh, Bobby Schindler from the Terry Schiavo Life and Hope Network and also Father Jonathan Duncan with us this hour. We'll be looking ahead to the Sunday Mass readings and unpacking those a bit, so please do stay with us if you are able. Right now, it is two minutes past. News of service of Central Fabricators and centralfabricators.com. Here's Anna Mitchell. Good morning. Steve Scalise is withdrawing from the race to become the next Speaker of the House. The Louisiana congressman announced at a conference meeting last night that he would be pulling out of the race following a day full of meetings with fellow Republicans. It appeared unlikely that he could get the necessary 217 members of his own party to vote for him. Israel is warning the United Nations to evacuate more than a million people in Gaza. Mark Mayfield reports. On Thursday, U.N. officials said the Israeli Ministry of Defense told them to notify Palestinians living in the northern areas of Gaza to evacuate to the southern part of the Strip in the next 24 hours. The U.N. says it's physically impossible to evacuate that many people without devastating humanitarian consequences. The news comes as officials expect the Israeli military to launch a ground assault against Hamas forces. The Israel Defense Forces say they have mobilized around 300,000 reservists near the Gaza border and are continuing large-scale strikes on Hamas targets. I'm Mark Mayfield. Secretary of State Antony Blinken met with Palestinian President Mahmoud Abbas today to discuss Israel's war with Hamas. The two leaders met in Amman, Jordan, where he also met with King Abdullah. Later, Blinken will head to Qatar to discuss the conflict with the country's prime minister there. Qatar's foreign ministry says the two leaders will also discuss the protection of civilians and ways to de-escalate the war. About $6 billion in Iranian funds, meanwhile, are currently being held in a Qatari bank as part of a prisoner swap with the U.S. to be used for future humanitarian purposes. Questions have been raised on Iran's ability to access the funds because of its history of backing Hamas. Law enforcement officials across the U.S. are on alert after a former Hamas chief called for a global day of jihad to take place today. There have already been some pro-Israel and pro-Palestinian marchers clashing in cities across the country since the war broke out between Israel and Hamas. Republican Congressman Michael McCall of Texas said yesterday he's concerned about synagogues being targeted. New York Governor Kathy Hochul says law enforcement agencies throughout the state of New York are preparing for demonstrations. The NYPD has ordered all officers to be in uniform today. Delegates at the Synod on Synodality are praying for peace as they continue to meet and deliberate in Rome. From Vatican Radio, Deborah Castellano-Lubov reports. Today's opening prayer was introduced by Iraqi Cardinal Luis Rafael Sacco. I would like to invite you this morning to pray for peace in the world, especially in the Holy Land, but also in Ukraine. The violence in Iraq, Iran, and Lebanon, Cardinal Sacco said. The people are waiting with much hope, he continued, to live in dignity and in fraternity and not always in fear and concern. As he called for prayer, fraternity, and solidarity with the suffering, the assembly recited 
recited several prayers, including Psalm 129s. Out of the depths, I cry to you, O Lord. During the morning prayer, Cardinal Sacco also prayed, O God, let the whole of humanity who have one origin from you form one family without violence, living united in peace for our Lord Jesus. Also during the morning prayer, the president of the Focolare movement, Margaret Karam, a Palestinian Catholic, prayed for peace. She prayed to the Lord for the Holy Land, for the people of Israel and Palestine who are under the grip of unprecedented violence, as well as for the victims, especially the children, for the wounded, for those held hostage, for the missing and their families. In these hours of anguish and suspense, she said, we join our voices to that of the Pope and to the choral prayer of those around the world who implore peace. Ms. Karam also recalled all of the other countries of the Middle East and all the countries at war. Help us, Lord, to commit ourselves to building a fraternal world so that these people and those in the same conditions of conflict and instability and violence may find the path of respect for human rights. In these days and in the past, the Holy Father has made countless prayers for peace in nations suffering from war. The Holy Father had personally made a visit to Iraq in March of 2021, marking the first visit to a pope to the Middle Eastern nation. I'm Deborah Castellano-Lubov. And the National League Championship Series is now set. The Philadelphia Phillies will take on the Arizona Diamondbacks starting on Monday. The Phillies beat the Atlanta Braves last night 3-1 to to earn the right to play for a spot in the World Series. Meanwhile, the Houston Astros will host the Texas Rangers for Game 1 of the American League Championship Series starting on Sunday. So, Matt, that means two nights with no baseball. With no baseball. But you got the Friday night lights. That's uh, true. If you are That's in, true. You know, listening in the, uh, or I mean, if you're watching in any kind of place that's got high school football, and then you got college football tomorrow. Yeah. And then you got baseball competing with the NFL schedule. Yeah. So it's gonna be, uh, it's gonna be interesting. You know, I'm. Uh, well, I'm I think through. baseball has a chance this weekend because Taylor Swift already had her football game. Oh, did she? Yeah. Who's who's Taylor Swift? The Chiefs beat the Broncos. She's the Chiefs mascot? Taylor All Swift's right. boyfriend beat the Broncos last night. Did he play? I have no idea. I, I didn't watch the game. Are you kidding me? <laughs> I canceled I was in a Catholic political thought ago. class last night. I was not watching football. Was, I was learning uh, about Americanism. I was reheating leftovers for leftover night. And- Neat doing a family rosary. It was very pious around my house. Neat. Very pious. That's awesome. That's awesome. Today is Friday, October the 13th. It is the anniversary of the miracle of the sun at Fatima. Our Lady of Fatima, pray for us. It's a past. Happy to welcome back to the Sunrise Morning Show, Father Mike Schmitz. He is host of the Catechism in a Year podcast from Ascension Press. Good morning, Father. Good morning. How are you doing? I am doing fine and happy to be talking to you. We're going to be discussing Christian Beatitude today. It's an early section in part three of the Catechism on our life in Christ. You know, Father, I think we often let the Beatitudes wash over us, don't we? Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who are persecuted for Mm -hmm. the sake of Christ. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That all seems great. I mean, but— I think maybe it's because we don't know what some of these words mean, or or maybe there are some that we've never really experienced in in yeah. our very cushy Catholic padded pew lifestyle that we have. Um, but how do the Beatitudes 
actually make us partakers in the divine nature, as the catechism says. Yeah, that's a great. I mean, even the fact that you just highlighted the fact that a lot of us just, again, like you said, we let the Beatitudes kind of wash over us. Kind of, yep, yep, those all sound good. Those are all great. Thank you for the recommendation, Lord. You know, yeah. kind of a situation, as opposed to realizing that Beatitudes are at the heart of Jesus' teaching. They're, they're, in fact, that's the Catechism 16 or 1760 says. It says the Beatitudes are at the heart of Jesus' preaching. And so to recognize that means that I can't simply say, I am aware of them, but not familiar with them. You know, like I'm aware of them, but I don't necessarily pay too much attention to them. But I, it makes sense. Like you, had, again, everything you just said was really, really, really wise, was that sometimes I just don't, I don't know what they mean. I don't know how, how, how would I start living the Beatitudes if this is the heart of Jesus is preaching, what am I supposed to do with it? Father, it says right after that line that, that you just read, the Beatitudes are at the heart of Jesus' preaching. Then it says, they take up the promises made to the chosen people since Abraham. Well, I know that you're doing a year in the catechism right now, but you just completed, not that long ago, reading yeah. the Bible in a year. So what does that line, I mean, how did you see that line play out in salvation history. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, so the chosen people of Israel, what are the promises of God that, that they hear? What are the promises God made to the chosen people uh, since Abraham? Well, the promises are here is worldwide blessing. Here is mm. a, a land. Here is a dynasty or a kingdom that goes on for all eternity. And so the Beatitudes are saying, okay, this is wide open. This is not limited to the people of Israel. This is now expanded to all of God's people, that's one of the reasons why, you know, the first beatitude, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And so it's not just a matter of, yes, the people of Israel will one day get their, their kingdom on earth back. It's Jesus Christ takes this, takes the promises that, that God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, right, in the Old Testament, made to his people and expands them to not merely here and now, not merely a temporal reality, like, you know, on this earth, but an eternal reality. And it goes on. It's just like that, that sense of blessed uh, of the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And this, this truth of, you know, what does, what does Moses ask the Lord? Moses asked the Lord, Lord, let me see your glory. Let me see your face. And he isn't, he isn't able to. He sees the passing glory. He sees the fading glory. He sees the, you know, behind of God. But he doesn't see his face. But here's Jesus who says, okay, in the new covenant, all of these promises, you are fulfilled in a way that you could never have imagined. You actually, the pure in heart, will actually see God face to face. Wow. Wow. And I love that point you made, too, about how it, I mean, even more beyond the land, like this is not like a territory with borders. This is right. the kingdom of heaven. And, and you talk about that blessing. I mean, what is that blessing for? so that we can be a light to the nations, right? And, and, and so that leads me to this last question for you, Father. You know, we hear in Scripture about how with Jesus, the law of God, which is love ultimately, is written on our hearts and not on tablets of stone. And the Beatitudes are part of that reality, are they not? Yes, absolutely. They are the promise of God to give us new hearts. And this is one of the, the things that is so powerful. I, I remember when I was first exposed to uh, St. John Paul II's Theology of the Body. Mm. And, and every time we, I, I teach the Theology of the Body, uh, one of the things that keeps coming back is 
that here Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, which is where the Beatitudes are found, in the, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says things like, you've heard it was said that you shall not murder, don't kill. But I say to you, either you grow angry with your brother, you're guilty of murder. And you, you was heard it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say, and anyone who looks lustfully on another is committing adultery. And so remember, as a, as a young person going, like, wait, I, I, can, I can avoid killing people. I can avoid committing adultery. I don't know if I can avoid getting mad at my brother or, you know, having lustful <laughs> thoughts. And, and like, wow, Jesus, you're really wrapping up the, I was in a, I was scraping by by not breaking the Ten Commandments. Now you've made it even harder. Jesus didn't come to give us new rules. He came to give us new hearts. And this is the kind of part of the heart of John Paul II's theology of the body is he came to actually change what he calls our ethos. And our ethos is that inner world in every one of us that's attracted to something and repelled by other things. And so what this promises is not just that, oh, here's new rules, here's a harder, harder way of life. But Jesus comes along and says, actually, here's what I'm going to do is I'm going to make it possible by giving you my Holy Spirit that not just your external behavior is going to cease being bad and start being good, but that even your internal life, your, your ethos, your inner world, your heart is going to love what I love and hate what I hate. And this is this, is this radical transformation that we're, we're all called to as Christians to actually let the Lord give us new hearts. And again, what does that mean? That means I love what God loves and I hate what God hates. And that involves a, uh, you know, metamorphosis, right? It involves a transformation. The metanoia is the, it's the, the Christian word in the New Testament. Invol- involves a new way of thinking and a new way of valuing what is good, what is evil, what should I desire, what should I not desire. Because in, in this section, even on the Beatitudes, it highlights that there is desire we all have, and that's good. We're called to bring that desire under the reign of Christ and desire happiness desire holiness and desire what God wants. And when that happens, I mean, that's where we find true happiness, right, Father? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, exactly. When we when we are willing to die to ourselves, um, and that not again, not the sense of just anything you like, you have to say no to. And the, but in the sense of, okay, what does God say about this? And, and it really truly involves a real surrender in order to have a new heart. And as long as I'm kind of holding on to my own my own will, and that's one of the reasons why I think we pray every day, thy will be done. As long as I'm holding on to my will, my plan, my I think this would go better if it was like, you know, such and such, it's going to be a, a powerful and <laughs> deathmatch interior battle. But as long as I'm willing to surrender and say, God, it may be possible. In fact, it is entirely likely that your will is the plan, the will that ought to happen. And what you have revealed, even if I'm, you know, railing against it, even if I'm it pinching me, I, I need to. I need to let it be transformed. Again, this, this new ethos, this uh, inner world that attracts me to certain things and repels me from other things, that, God, I want to love what you love and I want to hate what you hate. We've been talking to Father Mike Schmitz, and if you want to hear more about this, go check out his Catechism in a Year podcast if you haven't already. You can find it through Ascension Press and linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. Father, really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Well, thank you. I really appreciate this conversation with you, too. Well, happy to have it and hope we have more. Thank you again, Father. All right. It is 17 past now on the Sunrise Morning Show. We're back with headlines right after this. Are you looking for peace, longing for joy? Want to meet the giver of all goodness? 
God is calling the laity to bring Ignatian prayer into a suffering world. Work for the new evangelization. Go to lordteachmetopray.com. Order your free digital training and manual. Find true happiness and everlasting joy. Go to lordteachmetopray.com and click on the red button today. It's free. Approved by the USCCB. Support for the Sunrise Morning Show is from Visiting Angels. Visiting Angels provides experienced, compassionate care to millions of aging adults nationwide by keeping them safe and healthy in the comfort of their own home. Whether it's a short break for caregivers or for long-term assistance, Visiting Angels provides hygiene, meals, light housework, companionship, and more. And services are available up to 24 hours per day. Visiting Angels, online at visitingangels.com. That's visitingangels.com. Franchise opportunities available. It's the season of chunky soup and chunky sweaters, which means it's also pumpkin coffee season. And the Mystic Monks have their pumpkin spice blend in stock and ready for you to enjoy. And when you go to the Monks through sunrisemorningshow.com, we earn a commission on any flavor coffee or tea that you buy. Why shell out five bucks for a tall PSL when you can customize your own at home and drink it from a Sunrise Morning Show mug that you can find in our online store. Get a mug and link to Mystic Monk Coffee through sunrisemorningshow.com. This month's devotion is to the Holy Rosary. St. John Paul II called the Rosary his favorite prayer, in which we meditate with Mary upon the mysteries, which she, as a mother, meditated on in her heart. The Rosary is one of the most cherished prayers of our Catholic faith. Join in this devotion to Mary and strengthen our connection to Our Lady with rosary beads, bracelets, boxes, pouches, and rings. Available at EWTNRC.com. 19 past. Here's Anna with headlines. Steve Scalise has announced he is withdrawing his name from the race to become the next Speaker of the House. Israel is warning the United Nations to evacuate more than a million people in Gaza. And in the meantime, the Latin Patriarch of Jerusalem has asked the faithful to fast and pray for peace in the Holy Land. Next newscast coming up in about 11 minutes. By the way, you can go to sunrisemorningshow.com and... Click on either our Facebook logo or our YouTube logo and watch the live stream. You know, yesterday I got to be on, sort of impromptu, I got a note from Bernadette at AM 1260 Rock. Rock in Cleveland. Yeah. Uh, saying, hey, would you be able to join us for uh, any of our fall spirit drive for AM 1260 The Rock? Nice. And I said, sure. I called her back and she says, all right, can I call you in five minutes? I'll put you on live with Father Doug. <laughs> I was like, all right, I love live we radio. got it. So I got to talk to them. Nice. Debbie from Take Two was on with awesome. them as well. How's everybody doing in Cleveland? I feel like everybody's doing all right in Cleveland. Good. They'd be doing Good. more all right if any of you, especially listening in the Cleveland area, would go to am1260therock.com and click on the orange donate button at the top of the page. Yes. That would uh, that would be very helpful to Support them. The Rock. Support as they asked me, like, at the end, you know, what would you say to get people to support? I was like, listen, if a Bengals fan is telling you to donate to a Cleveland radio station, you know it's serious. You know it's serious. It's so true. I'm glad you shouted out the Bengals. Indeed. Good job. 21 past. If you love anything pumpkin-flavored and others, well, not so much. But the Mystic Monks of Wyoming are taking care of both of you with their coffee. That's right. Their seasonal favorite pumpkin spice blend is available along with other normal flavors. And when you purchase them after clicking the Mystic Monk link at sunrisemorningshow.com, you earn us a commission. 
While you're at our site, pick up a Sunrise Morning Show mug in our online store. Get a mug and link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sonrisemorningshow.com. This past year has been a crazy roller coaster ride, but you have the power to get your business back on track by underwriting the Sunrise Morning Show. Weekday mornings, your message will reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners across the U.S. and around the globe who want to know more about and support Catholic businesses and organizations. To get national exposure for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on the Sunrise Morning Show, email me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. This is Father Don Trannell of the Glenmary Home Missioners. Please join me in praying a Glenmary Community Mission Prayer. O oh, loving Father, may your spirit guide our missionary service. Like Jesus, may we proclaim the reign of God is at hand. Like Peter, may we fall on our knees at the sight of your great catch. Like Paul, may we strive to share the gospel with all people. Like Isaac Jobs and companions, may we willingly sacrifice our lives in service to the people of rural America. O creator of all, give us the courage to leave the 99 and go after the lost one. Grant us the joy to rejoice over the found one. Compel us to care for the victims we find along the road. Move us to embrace the prodigals returning home. We ask this through your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Twenty-three minutes past the hour, you're listening to the Sunrise Morning Show on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Dr. Janice Chi Breidenbach joining us now on the Sunrise Morning Show. She's a philosophy professor at Ave Maria University and one of the instructors in their new free online course offerings called The Pursuit of Wisdom, online at thepursuitofwisdom.org. Dr. Breidenbach, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks so much for having me on. You bet. So your course is on the philosophy of motherhood, which you point out is an understudied philosophy. I think that's an understatement. I have a theory about this, <laughs> Dr. Breidenbach, and I'm wondering okay. what you think. So first, I'd love to hear it. we moms are way too busy actually doing motherhood to really think about it in an academic setting. And two, all of yeah. us take <laughs> our moms very much for granted. What do you think? I think both of those are, are totally right. Uh, I mean, society, you know, takes motherhood totally for granted uh, and uh, just, you know, doesn't think that it's uh, uh, something very much worth thinking about. Um, but, you know, I mean, when you really reflect on it, right, uh, you and I know that uh, nothing could be further from the truth. I mean, uh, all of human life is, is really centered and founded on, on this phenomenon. So, mm. but, you know, I, I think there's also just something about how, uh, in the background, motherhood is. I mean, maybe we're not taking it for granted, but we, you know, I mean, we we do just assume that you know this is this is part of life, right? And um, and and that you know it's it's something that maybe we don't need to think about. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I think the impetus for this course really is to say that you know there's something deeply, profoundly interesting about motherhood from a philosophical standpoint, uh, but also from a theological one. Sure. So that's really what the the course is about. Why do you think motherhood is so transformative in the life of a woman? So, yeah, I mean, I think this is a truth that, 
even, you know, like a secular philosopher can get at, and indeed it's, uh, it is something discussed by secular philosophers, just how, you know, how much of a transformative experience mo- uh, motherhood is, in the sense that we can't even really anticipate, you know, what motherhood will be like until it happens to us. And I'm, you know, personally very interested in what I call the, the aspects of natural motherhood. So, you know, we think about the uh, the, the sort of uh, the, the, the process, right, that begins with the conception uh, of human life from union of man and woman, uh, pregnancy uh, that lasts nine months. I mean, that's uh, no small amount of time. Yeah. Uh, childbirth, which is no small feat. Um, exclusive breastfeeding on demand, which, you know, in some cases can last for quite a long time. And I think for many women, uh, including myself, there's a kind of surprise by how, uh, how wonderfully transformative this whole process can be, uh, and, and yet it's also like a deeply biological process. <laughs> uh, yeah. There's a kind of biological truth about life um, that, you know, we are part of, and uh, we alone, however, as human beings, can reflect on this process. And, you know, the English spiritual writer Carol Halslander once said, you know, any uh, animal, like, a, you know, as long as it's a female uh, can, can, you know, be, be a mother, right? She says, like, any cow in the field mm. can be a mother. But really, it's only human beings that can refe- reflect profoundly on the significance of this experience. And to, to that extent, I think it is transformative for us that we can, you know, gain all sorts of philosophical and theological insights from this deeply, you know, I mean, as, as you put it, like a kind of biological experience, a fact of life that we may take for granted. Well, we know from, well, from John Paul II and others that our, St. Paul, (laughs) that our bodies are meant to tell us something about God, right? I mean, all of creation is meant to tell us something about God. And I know that God is our father, but Dr. Breidenbach, what does motherhood teach us about God, do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think that that's the the question of the deepest, profound significance. I think it teaches us a lot. And what's really interesting about this is that, you know, our Christian faith is not the only one that that thinks that it does. So, Mm -hmm. you know, I was really struck when I learned recently that uh, within the Muslim set of prayers, the word rahma is is, uh, invoked, which means divine mercy, right? It's like the divine tenderness of God. But the word rahma means womb, and Mm. there's a kind of Hebraic origin here, too. So even within Islamic theology, I think you could say there's a kind of, maybe, again, it's a kind of taking for granted um, kind of philosophical assumption that needs to be further elaborated on. But the very fact of life as beginning in, you know, another person's body enveloped in this way in a kind of, you know, secret of gestation uh, reveals to us something about God himself. I mean, that's, I think that's uh, the philosophical point, the theological one, too. Um, the fact of our own vulnerability, uh, the fact of our, our utter dependence on God, right? I mean, we, we see ourselves in this metaphor as the helpless, you know, baby who can only be protected by this kind of, this kind of envelopment, this kind of metaphysical, total uh, envelopment. And, and that's, that's who we are uh, relative to God. And there's something very deep there. Uh, But of course, you know, our Catholic religion, too, uh, emphasizes uniquely 
the greatness of of Mary, who in some sense is simply a mother, but she's also the greatest mother of all time. Uh, and she's great, not because of something in her own self, but because of the child she bore, uh, who is also God. Wow. Uh, and there's, there's just a model here, which I think is very interesting uh, for us because, you know, Mary's greatness, there is a certain greatness in Mary, too. I think I would say, like, the greatness of her humility and, and the unity of all of her virtues, which allow her to accept this gift. Uh, and, you know, I mean, I think I think it does take a certain amount of greatness, or you might say excellence, uh, to ex- to be the recipient of, of greatness. I mean, we might think of how hard it can be sometimes to accept, you know, a really wonderful gift from someone. Our pride gets in the way. We feel embarrassed. But you know, I mean, the, the graciousness of Mary in receiving this this amazing gift of life is is a seri- I mean, it's it's just an amazing model for for us too. Uh, you know, as mothers, um, but as Christians, right? As, um, as adult, everyone who is uh, a sort of subject of, of the kingdom of God, we could say. Um, Mary is a great metaphysical marvel, right, as the mother of God. And, and, you know, we give her this title of Theotokos, and there's just so much packed into this title. Amen to that. If you're just joining us, we're talking to Dr. Janice Chi Breidenbach. She's a philosophy professor at Ave Maria University and has a short course over at thepursuitofwisdom.com. It's a free online course on the philosophy of motherhood, and you can find The Pursuit of Wisdom linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. Dr. Breidenbach, thank you so much. Thank you. God bless. You too. Thank you. All right. It's 31 minutes past the hour now. It's time for news. Israel is telling the United Nations to evacuate more than a million people in northern Gaza over the next 24 hours. UN officials say the Israeli Ministry of Defense told them yesterday to notify Palestinians living in the northern areas to evacuate to the southern part of the Gaza Strip. The move could mean that Israeli ground assault against Hamas is imminent. The Latin Patriarch of Jerusalem has asked the faithful to fast and pray for peace in the Holy Land as the war rages on. In a statement yet, in a statement this week, Patriarch Pierre Padista Bitsabala said, quote, In this time of sorrow and dismay, we do not want to remain helpless. We cannot let death and its sting be the only word we hear, end quote. In Washington, Steve Scalise is withdrawing from the race to become the next Speaker of the House. Mark Mayfield reports. He announced at a conference meeting Thursday night he would be pulling out of the race following a day full of meetings with fellow Republicans. It appeared unlikely he would get the 217 members of his own party to vote for him on the floor, as a small number of conservatives appeared to block his path. The House Republicans will huddle again Friday morning. I'm Mark Mayfield. Ford Motor Company is telling the United Auto Workers that its 23% pay raise offer is the most they can afford to do. The UAW is striking the big three automakers as they seek a 40% wave. Ford, The Ford Blue president said the offer made to the union puts employees in the top 25% of all hourly and salaried jobs in the U.S., calling it a, an incredibly positive offer. A week after the release of the Pope's apostolic exhortation, a group of Catholic agencies has joined a campaign for COP to ensure a loss and damage fund is effective. 
Lisa Zingarini reports. The statement is a joint effort of several Catholic agencies, including Caritas Internationalis, the Scottish Catholic International Fund, the International Cooperation for Development Solidarity and the Laudato Si movement, and is open to leaders of all faiths across the world who wish to show their support for action on loss and damage. The aim of the fund, which was the major achievement of the COP27 in Sharm el-Sheikh last year, is to provide financial assistance to poorer nations as they deal with the negative consequences that arise from the unavoidable risks of climate change, including rising sea levels, prolonged droughts and severe flooding, desertification, forest fires and crop failures. According to the faith leaders, the fund could correct the deep injustice at the heart of the current climate crisis, building peace, harmony and solidarity to respond to this challenge to our common home. The statement therefore calls on COP28 to agree to establish a fit-for-purpose loss and damage fund that gets money to the people who need it most, is adequately resourced based on the polluter-pays principle, fully addresses non-economic losses and damages and corrects the injustice of poorer nations paying the price of other nations' actions. The fund, the religious leaders say, must be accessible, comprehensive, restorative and effective. At the same time, the statement reiterates that the new global fund must be accompanied by urgent action to reduce emissions as quickly as possible and to invest in essential adaptation efforts to prevent future harms. I am Lisa Zengarini. That's the news on the Sunrise Morning Show. It's 30. It's the season of chunky soup and chunky sweaters, which means it's also pumpkin coffee season. And the Mystic Monks have their pumpkin spice blend in stock and ready for you to enjoy. And when you go to the Monks through sunrisemorningshow.com, we earn a commission on any flavor coffee or tea that you buy. Why shell out five bucks for a tall PSL when you can customize your own at home and drink it from a Sunrise Morning Show mug that you can find in our online store. Get a mug and link to Mystic Monk Coffee through sunrisemorningshow.com. This is Father Rob Jack with the Heart of St. Paul. It is amazing that the more things change, the more they remain the same. In many parishes, there are disputes about the celebration of the Holy Eucharist. Some want this and others want that. The great act of Christ's sacrifice on the cross, which is at its center to effect unity in the church, instead brings about division. St. Paul faced the same problem with the Corinthians. He was not pleased with how the church was celebrating the Lord's Supper. He writes, When you meet together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal, and one is hungry, and the other is drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you for this? No, I will not. Paul warns the Corinthians that whoever eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of profaning the body and blood of Christ. Paul's concern is also our concern. When we come to Mass, we need to be mentally and spiritually prepared. Let us prepare our souls by prayer and confession and our bodies by the fast. In that way, we do not bring judgment upon ourselves, but grace. This is what the heart of Paul teaches us.
The Sunrise Morning Show continues on this Friday, the 13th of October. I'm Matt Swaim, joined now by Bobby Schindler from the Terry Schiavo Life and Hope Network, online at lifeandhope.com. Bobby, good morning. Good morning, Matt. I always like it when you've got good news to share and uplifting and positive stories, because so often uh, we tend to have a lot to talk about in the other direction. But tell us about this story that you've uh, run across recently. Right, and it, it, you're right, Matt, because, uh, and I think I mentioned this before, and obviously with with the weekly uh, discussions that we have, we mostly get calls of crises and, and families that are battling either other family members or hospitals or doctors to have their treatment uh, denied or withdrawn. So they're always, you know, they're, they're difficult cases. But in this case, uh, it is. It's very uplifting, and it's, it's the story of Kelly Westbrook. This was in Missouri, 23 years old. She was in a car accident and uh, sustained a pretty serious traumatic brain injury. And, you know, Matt, everybody's different, obviously. Everybody responds to treatment differently. Everybody's brain is differently, so that the brain is going to respond and kind of have its own journey and path to healing. But this is kind of, to me, when I read this, it was like a model of how we ought to be treating these individuals and how our healthcare system should be providing these individuals with every chance and how she had family, she had community, she had, and she credits her recovery to, to her faith and to the people around her, her church. But she was in a coma for 12 days, and her family stuck with her uh, the entire time. I was praying with her. She she emerged from the coma, and then she went on a path of rehabilitation and therapy. It it took her about a year, uh, but she was uh, you know struggling through the process, and uh, she's to the point now where uh, it's been several years since her accident. But and, and it's it's uh, I love how she quotes how the the coma. Um, you know, obviously, God had a different plan for her, and she feels blessed now with what's happened because of her coma, and she's married with three children. She's a stay-at-home mom. She can't imagine life without the kids, and she's very thankful for all that. And, and she talks about how this brain injury changed her life and, and her perseverance and determination to, and her will to you know, get better, so to speak, uh, put her in this position now where she feels uh, an enormous amount of gratitude humility and uh, just thankful to God, particularly for you know what she's gone through to get to where she is today. It's, it's just a it's a beautiful, inspirational story. You know, Matt, it's, it's, it's kind of ironic uh, in a sense that that's the right word, but it, it's amazing how these people provide hope and inspiration for us. And we often look at them, and we often you know we talk about we hear this all the time. Who would want to live this way? Who would want to live? With a, with a disability. Well, when you read stories like this, you realize that these people give us hope and inspiration. They give others hope and inspiration to want to improve and, and, and just surround this person with love and, and prayers and, and doing everything we can to help them recover and heal. It's, just, it's the way it's supposed to be. It's the way we're supposed to treat each other, and it's just nice to see stories like this uh, w- with a family and, and a community that wants to help and support someone who's been through Really, a difficult time. Well, and you mentioned this right at the beginning of of this segment. Everybody's different, and sometimes people who have these injuries never come back from them, right? And some of these people end up coming back, and it's a very slow and hard road, or they only come back 
you know, a portion of the way and they still need extended care, right? And they're only able to communicate in a limited fashion. But some people call, come all the way back, right? Uh, it is, uh, it's impossible to tell in those first few days how things are going to turn out. I mean, and that's why it's so important for the brain to be given time. Right, we talk about it all the time, and it's it's just interesting to me. And, and and I have posted on our website. I know I've mentioned this before, the dozens and dozens of stories, somewhat similar to this, of of people that defied the odds, that defied the prognosis of doctors, had families there to support them, uh, where their human dignity was respected, and they were given every chance and opportunity to recover. And I just wonder, you know, what is the difference? Is it does it come down to strictly? Uh, to resources, insurance? Are they, are they able to afford the type of care that these people that recover uh, are, you know, are they, are they getting a different type of care? Because uh, oftentimes it doesn't say that in the story. Uh, but why are some people given a chance to heal and recover and others are so quickly determined that they're going to stop treatment and deny treatment? It just, it, it, it doesn't make sense to me other than it, it has to be related somehow to, uh, to, to, you know, a cost decision with a lot of these uh, cases. But this is just an example, and it really embodies everything we talk about, why these people are, are, should, ought to be given time and the opportunity to recover. And, and every benefit of the doubt to, to see, you know, if, if the brain is going to respond to certain treatments and therapies. And, and look how beautiful this story. And look at the inspiration she's providing for others because of her healing and her journey, uh, you know, back to, uh, to recovery. Well, and beyond merely the inspiration, right, and the human dignity questions that you and I care about very much uh, as Catholic Christians, I would think that the scientific community would be very interested in this story, right? I mean, you would think that, like, this would be the kind of thing that you would want to say, all right, let's find out every possible medical reason for why this worked out the way that it did so that we can, in future cases, apply as much medical knowledge as possible to them and build on it and build on it and build on it. Uh, I think that's kind of one of the most shocking things to me about these stories is that you would think that they would provide, you know, they, w- they would be prioritized uh, for extra research and care because of the desire to help future patients when these situations arise down the road. Uh, and, and that, to me, I think is one of the more shocking aspects of this whole question as you and I address it from week to week is why for just reasons of medical research people aren't given more of a chance yeah, yeah you're, you're absolutely right Matt I mean if we're killing these individuals and we're not using them to to, to, to know what's helping them recover how can we help others that, that experience similar types of injuries yeah you're absolutely right and then we are seeing some of this with you know we've talked about in the past a lot of the brain research and the discoveries that they're finding and you know a lot of this the discoveries that they're finding, it does come down simply to time. Uh, and, of course, uh, you know, other, other types of um, you know, uh, whatever is needed to, to help these individuals, some, uh, you know, therapy and rehabilitations um, that, that they, they, need to, they need to be provided. But, but ultimately, if you don't give the person time, we'll never know. And, and you're right. If, if we're killing these individuals, how are we going to know what it is that's going to help them and if they have the, the, uh, the opportunity to, to respond to certain types of treatment? Well, Bobby Schindler, we're grateful for you bringing these stories to our attention. The good news as well as the not-so-good news. It's all important for us to know so we know how to best uphold the dignity of human life amid all kinds of stuff happening out there that would threaten it. Uh, If our listeners want to connect with you, Bobby, how do they do so? Sure. It's lifeandhope.com, lifeandhope.com. 
linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. Thanks so much. Have a great day. Thank you, Matt. God bless you. And while you're at sunrisemorningshow.com, if you go to the show notes, you can click on over to our YouTube live stream of the show. You can also go to our Facebook page where we're streaming it live on Facebook as well. So uh, pick your uh, pick your favorite social media there. And uh, those two are definitely both in my top 50 or so. We're back with Father Jonathan Duncan to preview the Sunday Mass readings coming up next. It's a quarter till. For over 500 years, the church-honored spiritual exercises of St. Ignatius of Loyola have formed many saints. This treasured way of personal prayer with God is now available to you for free. Order your free training manual at lordteachmetopray.com and bring Ignatian prayer to others. Lord Teach Me to Pray is approved by the USCCB. Order your free training manual at lordteachmetopray.com. That's lordteachmetopray.com. Lord Teach Me to Pray underwrites the Sunrise Morning Show. Support for the Sunrise Morning Show is from Visiting Angels. Visiting Angels provides experienced, compassionate care to millions of aging adults nationwide by keeping them safe and healthy in the comfort of their own home. Whether it's a short break for caregivers or for long-term assistance, Visiting Angels provides hygiene, meals, light housework, companionship, and more. And services are available up to 24 hours per day. Visiting Angels, online at visitingangels.com. That's visitingangels.com. Franchise opportunities available. We know a lot of you love anything pumpkin-flavored, and others, well, not so much. But the Mystic Monks of Wyoming are taking care of both of you with their coffee. That's right. Their seasonal favorite pumpkin spice blend is available, along with other normal flavors. And when you purchase them after clicking the Mystic Monk link at sunrisemorningshow.com, you earn us a commission. While you're at our site, pick up a Sunrise Morning Show mug in our online store. Get a mug and link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sonrisemorningshow.com. He is honored by the Church as a saint with the title Second Apostle of Germany. Matthew Bunsen and the Doctors of the Church. The Dutch-born Jesuit, St. Peter Canisius, was one of the key figures in restoring the Catholic faith in Germany during the Protestant Reformation. He is renowned for his catechism and also for his founding more than 40 universities that proved bastions of Catholicism across Central Europe. He died in 1597 and was named a doctor in 1925. To find out more, visit EWTN.com and click on Catholicism. Hi, this is Cy Kellett. Later today on Catholic Answers Live, it's back, the Catholic Answers Game Show. Catholic Answers Live, 6 p.m. Eastern on EWTN Radio. Now, back to the Sunrise Morning Show. I'm hoping I get to see Cy. I think he's going to be there at the Catholic Radio Conference. They're having like a Catholic Answers reception at the Catholic Radio Conference. You're making me so jealous. I'm sorry. I'm going to say hi to everybody up there. You know who who knows about the Sunrise Morning Show, with you. and I'll I'll uh, I'll send them greetings on your behalf. Thank I didn't you. even know I was going until just a couple weeks ago myself. Thank you. I'm just gonna be hanging out, not giving a talk. Nobody wants to hear me talk. Yeah, like no one listening to the radio ever wants to hear you talk. You know who they I want to hear Father Duncan talk, and they, they want to hear you do the headlines here at 12 minutes past. 12 Israel, minutes till, rather. Israel is telling the United Nations to evacuate more than a million people in northern Gaza over the next 24 hours, and the Latin Patriarch of Jerusalem has asked the faithful to fast and pray for peace in the Holy Land. And Steve Scalise has withdrawn his name from the race to become the next Speaker of the House. News at the top and bottom of each hour every weekday morning here on the Sunrise Morning Show. I'm Matt Swaim, joined now by Father Jonathan Duncan. He is a priest of the Diocese of Charleston, where he works in 
hospital and campus ministry and lots of other things. Father Duncan, good morning. Good to be with you, Matt. So there are some uncomfortable readings. Uh, Well, at least the gospel is extremely uncomfortable, (laughs) and Jesus makes his listeners very uncomfortable in the original telling of it. Uh, Are you going to be focusing on the gospel reading this week? Is that uh, where you're going to be probably aiming your discussion? You know, I I think so, because I think it's such a helpful helpful addition to what we've been hearing over these last few weeks. You know, you'll you'll remember, and obviously folks have been going to Mass, they've been hearing readings about the sort of wide-embracing call of Christ, uh, that Christ is is calling um, not the righteous but sinners to repentance, and we've heard about how the tax collectors, um, the prostitutes, they're coming, they're being welcomed, they're being received, whereas those who um, are, you know, the so-called righteous, the keepers of the law, they're being rejected because they are rejecting this gospel. And so we've been hearing that in, in different ways, in different images for weeks now. And today, the, the story would seem to begin like one of those parables, like one of the gospel readings we've gotten for the last several weeks. And it's the ending that puts a new spin, because we're told the story of the wedding feast, uh, where the king is throwing a banquet for his son, he sends out his servants, and they eventually, they go and they find whoever they can find, even those who are on the, the streets and kind of the highways and byways, to come into this feast, because those to whom it's first offered reject the offer. But what's interesting is at the very end, we see that there's someone who has come into the feast who does not have a wedding garment. They're not properly attired for the feast. And the result of it is that they're thrown out. Now, if, if the whole image you have of Jesus in the gospel is just everyone is welcome, everyone is welcome, come as you are, stay as you are, then the end of this reading is going to sound like a different Jesus. But if you understand that the call of the gospel is come, come to me, all who labor, it is a, it's a call to everyone but it's a call to a new life, to be, as St. Paul would say, to become a new creation. If it's a call to conversion, a call to repentance, then that holiness that ultimately is required to see the Lord face to face, that has to come. And so it's not enough for us simply to proclaim a gospel of welcome and inclusion if we don't also include the call of Christ to a new life, to transformation. And that's, of course, signified here by the wedding garment. In, in these ancient Eastern cultures, the wedding garment would often be something beautiful and it would be something given by the host to particular guests. And so to reject the wedding garment is to reject part of the invitation and, and to not realize the honor that the host and the feast are due. And I think that's such an essential part of the gospel. This is a tension that you've got to live in as a Christian, and there's a whole bunch of ways to fall on one side or the other of this and not live in the tension, right? So you can fall on the side that says that we need to welcome everybody from the streets, 
but uh, nobody ever has to do anything to change themselves. You're just welcome, as you just mentioned. We can also fall into the side that says, wait, if you're not dressed right, you're going to get thrown out of the banquet, so don't even come in, (laughs) right? So, I mean, you can have both this sort of rigorous idea of you can't come in until you're already perfect, or this idea of you can come in and never have to change anything, and the, the church has always had to live in this tension of, we want everybody in here, but everybody's got to conform themselves to Christ. Uh, I mean, this is this is a hard thing to live in. Absolutely. And, and of course, ultimately, he's the garment, right? St. Paul says, as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put, put on, on Christ. Christ yes. like a garment. And so to reject transformation, to reject repentance, to reject becoming that new creation— is ultimately to reject something of what Christ wants for you. Uh, and it's not enough to simply say, all are welcome. I, you know, I hear that from different kind of mainline um, you know, Christian denominations and things who will simply say, like, all are welcome, period, end of sentence, nothing else needs to be said. And that's simply not the gospel of Jesus Christ, because the gospel is all about, yes, you are welcome so that you can be redeemed out of sin and death, and the works of sin and death, and redeemed for this new life, for a new creation. And if we're, if we're not giving them the fullness, then we're giving them only half of what Christ wants for them. Um, but, as, as, you, as you pointed out, the temptation, especially for folks who are, who are pretty religious, the kind of, you know, are listening to the radio, you know, at, at 8 o'clock in the morning on a Friday, wanting to learn about the faith, the temptation for us is probably going to be to, as we go out and seek people, using the image of the parable, to go out and say, okay, everyone's welcome who's got a wedding garment already. Does anyone, you know, anyone have a wedding garment? Okay, you can come to the feast. No, it's, it's a call to everyone to come, but the assumption is, as you come into the feast, that you're going to be putting on Christ, which means um, a, a transformed character, a transformed nature. Your desires and delights need to be transformed. And if they're not, if there's a part of you that you think is beyond Christ's correction and Christ's transformation, even a part of you that seems like to you second nature, like something you can't let go of, Jesus is very clear. If you love that part of you more, if you're not willing to cut off that part of you, to lose that part of you, to to lay down that part of you, then you can't come to the feast. You're not worthy uh, of the King's Son's feast. You have to be willing to offer your whole self and let it be transformed by the cross. This whole process is is, is, is cruciform, right? We should be cross-shaped in our life, and that has to be there with our with our call of welcome and inclusion. I think this is the tension right now, but we have to have both, or we've given up something of the gospel. Yeah, it's all the tension, right? Jesus didn't come to only hang out with righteous people, but with the sinners. But guess what? Those sinners had something happen to them, and they changed their ways, right? I mean, this is always the tension going back to the incarnation. Father Jonathan Duncan, thank you. Have a wonderful day. Well, that wraps it up for the Sunrise Morning Show. Thanks for being with us on this Friday, the 13th of October. It's the Feast of Our Lady of Fatima. Pray for us. Pray the rosary today. We are still in that month dedicated to the rosary, and that's one of the things Our Lady of Fatima asked us to do. We're back again on a Monday. 
I'm Matt Swain for Anna Mitchell, and for all of our guests, may God bless you and keep you and grant you his peace.